Welcome to the New Age Sage podcast. Today's guest is Kristen Such. She is a quantum healer and angelic channel, as well as a great coach. We talk about how to access your angelic guides and how to properly manifest so you don't mess yourself up. I hope you love the episode. Please leave a review if you do. Thank you and enjoy. Kristen, um, I want to start with kind of how you got into this this work. You know, people in this space, I feel like we all were alchemized or initiated into the process of healing. So what was your journey like in the sense of getting to a point where you wanted to help others? What what caused that? Yeah. So I had my spiritual awakening rather early. I had it when I was 17 years old, which wow. honestly don't recommend. I It was kind of painful kind of knew, knowing what I knew going into college because I always felt like I didn't really fit in and I was into other things that you know I should have just been into drinking and partying, but I was always into more esoteric things. I was into manifestation, crystals, the, the very kind of like mainstream things of spirituality at first. Um, but I had ended up kind of going down that spiritual path and then suppressing it for a long time just to try to fit in, try to, you know, make friends and just be a normal girl. And then when I was at my first corporate job, I kind of reignited this love for spirituality because I was so, in so much pain that it was the only thing that gave me relief. And I find that in these moments of pain, that's when we dig for something deeper. We have to be in pain in order to expand and grow, right? It's the only way. It's like expansion is kind of destruction in a way. And so that really kickstarted my, I would say, second spiritual journey. Mm. I was just going down the path of wondering like, okay, I want to make this change, but why? Why can't I make this change? And I was diving into manifestation and self-worth and inner child work and realizing that these things that I wanted to do, the blocks were so much deeper than just doing them. It was like I had to work on my self-worth. I had to help my inner child feel safe enough to show up online and things like that. So long story short, I ended up quitting my corporate job and teaching yoga full-time for a year. And I began my path as a little bit of a serial entrepreneur. I started a freelance marketing business. I started some um, ads businesses. Like I was just trying to find my groove for a year while I like just taught yoga and tried to figure it out. And I was taking a life coaching course at the time and then COVID hit. So all of my marketing clients dried up. There was no budget anymore. Obviously, there's no yoga in the studios. And so after that, I was just like, all right, well, there's no off option but to go all in on this thing. So... I ended up starting my coaching business and a lot of people at the time had been asking me how to quit their corporate job and how to find more fulfillment. And so that's how the journey started. I started coaching about four and a half years ago. And since I had been on this journey since I was 17, and I during that time, I was studying under therapists, um, healers, energetic healers, and shamans. I basically blend all of the modalities that have worked for me and I make my own processes and help my clients uh, find fulfillment. And then this has kind of evolved into more spiritual coaching, mindset coaching, helping entrepreneurs start their businesses. I do a lot of things, but that's how I got started. <laughs> that's awesome. What was that like being a 17-year-old. For me, when I was 17, so I had my awakening when I was 21. 17, I, I loved drugs, partying, and everything at 17-year-old love. So what was that like for you at that time? And I'm asking that because I think so many of us find ourselves in that point where we're realizing that who we need to become is so different to where we are and the friends we have. So what was that like for you in that moment to be so, so different? And what did it take for you to honor that side of yourself? And what would it take others to honor that side of themselves and, and not be stuck in that, that box? 
It was really hard, honestly. It was one of the hardest things to go through because in when you're 17, when you're going into college and you know you're just you're just a new college girl, that's what I was at the time, is like all you want is to fit in. All you want is to be accepted. All you want is to be like a cool, popular girl. And mm-hmm. honestly, I was all those things, but I was those things at the expense of who I truly was. So looking back, I can see how much I was suppressing of myself. I was doing things that I didn't truly want to do. I was partying way more than I genuinely actually wanted to party in the say, in the name of being accepted, in the name of being cool, in the name of, you know, just fitting in with my friends because that's all I wanted. Now, I think a lot of people go through this process of just being really lonely, but also being surrounded by people and having to shed a lot of these relationships and friendships. And honestly, I think it's a little bit of an initiation. You know, you probably can relate at 21, that's still really young and you feel really alone. But I think that this is part of the spiritual journey because you have to learn how to rely on only your own validation versus the validation of everyone around you. So even though it was really hard and painful, I think it was one of the most important parts of my journey because from a very young age, I learned that I was just going to have to do things differently. And if I did it, then I was going to be miserable my entire life. So take me through the journey of what it took for you to get from that spot of, I think we're all there, right? At the initial spiritual awakening. And a lot of my target audience is people who are in that, in that stage of just figuring things out. It's a confusing time. So in that space, you know, I think solitude is required to figure shit out, but give me the journey for you from getting to that point of solitude and confusion to getting to a point where you can honor yourself and feel comfortable doing whatever you wanted to do. Yeah. I think that a big part of it was really getting to the point where I had to be honest with myself. Like I'm not on the path that makes me feel good. And I believe that emotions are one of our, one of the most important tools that we have, because if you're not feeling good, that's source. That is your higher self. That's your external guidance telling you something is off. Think about it. When we feel good, we know we're on the right path. So you have to get to the point where you're really honest and you're like, something doesn't feel good. And I, I'm in so much pain that I need to make a change, right? So I think that there's another point in your journey where you're going to have to decide if you're in enough pain to make changes because change means a lot of death, death of relationships, death of your ego, death of your past self, death of your, the identity that you currently identify with. And so I think a lot of that was um, allowing myself to let go of the people, of the relationships, of the friendships, of the di- identity that I created of myself so that I could decide to recreate a new identity. And then I think, you know, the last step, which I feel like I've taken these steps so many times now, so many deaths and rebirths is really allowing myself to be in the unknown where you get to recreate what does feel good, go into your new identity, really create the life that you're thinking of in your mind, right? But that requires so much radical self-trust in yourself and in source because humans don't like the unknown, right? Nobody likes to not know where we're going. We like security. We like safety. That's why we do so many things in the name of security and safety. And so um, I think that's probably the hardest part is really allowing yourself to go into that unknown and then recreating your life from there. So if I had to you know, break it down into steps, I would say those are the three steps. <laughs> that's a great point. That's what caused most of my shifts. It's kind of vision, visualizing the life I'd have once I took the risk, right? Visualizing, okay, if I do the same shit every day for two years, five years, 
what would my life look like? And then comparing it to, okay, may, this may seem uncomfortable or horrific for a year or two, but down the line would be better. What, for people who are in that spot, who have those, those, those visions, right? They see themselves being like, I don't know if I can do this. This sucks. What does it take for them to, to finally go all in? To be like, you know what? I'm actually, I'm actually going all in. Cause that's, I think most people perpetually find themselves in that spot and not do anything, not wanting to go all in. So what does it take to have enough belief or power in yourself to, to say, I'm going all in on this, this journey that's self-actualizing of my higher self? I think there's two ways you can answer this. From like a really human perspective, I don't think that we make the changes that we need to make unless we're in enough pain. So mm. I don't think that that person was, isn't in enough True. pain, truly. Like I was in yeah. so much pain at my corporate job, crying every single day, calling my mom, saying my soul is dying. I literally don't feel like myself. I don't even want to be on this earth. That I was like literally being poor and trying to teach yoga and be an entrepreneur is better than what I'm doing right now. So I think that like from a human level, you're probably just not in enough pain and you're not miserable enough. And then I think that there's like the spiritual level, right? Where there's always the two. I think that underneath, if you're not making a change and you really, really want to, you have to ask yourself, okay, well, no one's shackling me to this job or this, you know, relationship or whatever you're trying to move on from. So what in me is not believing that I can do it? A lot of times it's a lack of self-trust. It's a lack of confidence. It's not truly believing that if we do that, we're going to be successful at it, right? So if we don't even believe that we're going to be successful, why would we leave, right? So there's a lot of underlying beliefs that I work with my clients to uncover so that all those can get out of the way and we can actually just move forward in doing what we want. But in order to do what we want, we have to clear out the density, the trauma, the, the unworthiness, the noise so that we can actually just move forward. Yeah, that's such a great point. I think, I think to bounce off that, that why so many people, so people, so many people get stuck in that spot of not taking that chance is because they're not aware of how they feel. They numb themselves, right? We're in this culture of numbing, of not wanting to feel those things, the unworthiness, the, the trauma that we get stuck in it because we don't, we can't feel the pain of not doing it, right? What I mean by that is that like we, we can't sit with the wounding that comes with not following our purpose, not being true to ourselves. We block it off through social media, drugs, drinking, sex, all, all these things. So how true, do you, how true do you find that in the sense that we can actually know what's right for us if we're constantly numbing from the pain telling us what's wrong? I love that you brought this up because I think that maybe a part of the journey that I didn't speak of is like really allowing you yourself to get quiet. And what getting quiet requires is is kind of not doing all that for a little bit, right? Really allowing yourself to sit without any external noise. What that means is no social media, not talking to your friends about what I should do or talking to your mom and dad about what I should do. It's like, you do have to sit with yourself and ask yourself like, what do I want? And even though that seems like a really simple question, a lot of people don't... Like, When is the last time you actually sat in silence and we're just like thinking. A lot of people don't do it. Even when they go out on a walk to walk their dog, they're listening to something, right? Or they're listening to music or they're talking to the friend. Not bad things, but silence allows us to hear our own thoughts. It allows us to get in touch with our soul and really make the choices that are not influenced by anything external. <laughs> for sure. I don't know if I answered no. your question. <laughs> no, you did for sure. No, no, I think that's a good awesome answer i think because so once we've done that the cultivated the space to feel our emotions and the emotions that come with the life we're living 
I think the second part is once you realize how in pain we are and how much we're, we're in resistance to that path, we're currently taking over the comfort zone and doing the things our families wanted, to, wanted us to do. The next piece is believing in yourself enough to take the chance. So let's go into that now. What does it take? What, what did it take for you? And then kind of extrapolate that to others. What did it take for you to finally believe in yourself enough to go all in? Yeah. So for me, I was doing a lot of inner child and shadow work, which is what I teach now because it's the only thing that really was able to get me here. So when I was at my corporate job, I was there for about three and a half, maybe four years. And I was trying every job under the sun and I really wanted to quit. And then I had that thought one day that I, I shared with you guys a little bit a, a little bit ago of like, well, no one's shackling me to this corporate job. So why don't I just leave? Right. And I had to like really understand, okay, so I can literally quit today. Why aren't I doing it? Why not? And I realized it was because I had really deep rooted beliefs around how to be successful. So my my parents really drilled into me. You have to be a doctor, a lawyer. You need to be in business in order to be successful. That's the only way to get success. They also, you know, told me you have to work really, really hard to make money, things like that. Right. So once I was like, okay, so I think I have these limiting beliefs. How the hell do I, how the hell do I reprogram them? How do I get rid of them? Right. Everyone talks about limiting beliefs, but what do you do with them? And I realized that these, I started going studying. I started entering courses, doing a lot of my own personal work. And what I found was inner child work was the answer for me. So these root beliefs that everyone has, these limiting beliefs, they all start in childhood, zero to 20 years old. And they are forming in our brain because when our brain is forming, it's in theta state, which is that's the brainwaves that are going out. That's the brainwaves of the subconscious mind. So what happens is when we're forming and we're getting told or seeing or being ex- seeing examples of people that we aspire to be, we're making rules around the world. So we're saying, oh, okay, in order to be successful, I need to work hard. And okay, so that's how I gain love and validation. I need to be a doctor, a lawyer, you know, work in business. Okay, noted. And these become truths to our brain. Now, anything that threatens these truths or makes you feel like you maybe won't get love or acceptance or validation from them, we will now not do any of those things. Even if we want to do them, we might subconsciously hold ourselves back from doing them. And that was exactly what was happening to me. So I had these core beliefs that I needed to be successful in these certain ways. And now my soul is telling me, nope, Kristen, you need to be successful in this other way. And I am so paralyzed of taking action because my root belief is actually going against what my soul is telling me to do. So what I was doing literally every single day after work is I was taking myself through inner child work and I was sitting with my inner child and helping her feel safe and saying, you are actually going to be the most successful when you follow your soul. I was reprogramming that that um, rule, that vision for her that she could only be successful one way. And I would... F- bring up the shadows of she was feeling. Well, I don't want to be a failure. I don't want to be not good enough. I don't want to be looked at as this weird woo-woo girl. And I would help her feel safe, validated, loved. Now, the reason that this is so powerful and why I freaking love inner child work is because I was changing my entire state of being internally and nothing outside was changing. Literally, my life looked the same, but everything inside was changing. I was feeling worthy. I was feeling loved. I was feeling accepted. And no one gave that to me but me. And so that was really my process of 
believing in myself is giving myself the validation, the love, the acceptance, the the support that I was so craving from the external world, but wasn't getting. And when I really felt secure in that, that's the exact moment that I was able to quit my corporate job and start teaching yoga. And that was a big ego death because going from saying, oh, I have this cushy corporate job to saying, oh yeah, I'm a yoga teacher. Like you're not getting any validation for that. So it was deep, deep self-worth work for me to still feel worthy doing that. Give me some more details on the actual inner child healing process. So for other people to replicate and, and follow. So how did you actually clear the stuck energy from the past? Right. I think there's, for example, let's say that's that younger version of you who felt judged and believed in themselves and that energy is resurfacing in the present moment and causing you to not want to change your life or any childhood wounding. What do you do in that moment to clear that? Like, what were you actually doing with your inner child? Were you talking to them, visualizing them? Like what did you actually, what, what, did, what did your process actually look like? So the way I do it with my clients is I work with a root memory, right? So for example, I get clear on the emotion that is coming up in that moment. So let's say I want, I was thinking about quitting my corporate job and I'm like really triggered. I'm like, I can't do that. Okay. What's coming up? Fear, not being good enough not wanting to be a failure. Okay. So those are the emotions I'm feeling. Fear, not, not worthy, failure, right? Okay. So what would, what would I have needed in order to feel those things? Like, you know, if I were to feel confident, what would I need? Okay. I would need validation. I would need love. I would need acceptance. I would need support. All right. Well, why don't you feel like that? Is there a root memory? Is there a core memory where you can remember that, you know, you didn't get those things and it was it was really hard and for me i was always rooting it back to these memories of childhood with my with my mom and dad where they were like no this is how you be successful you need to be a doctor a lawyer blah blah, blah just like i've said <laughs> so many times and what i would really do is i would go back to those root memories right cuz that's where the belief started and i would go back and i'm in the subconscious state so i'm in a meditative state i get bring my brain down to theta state and I go back to that little girl, however old she was at the time, and I would just talk to her. And I would basically be the parent that she always needed but never received. So things would have been so different if I had a, if I had had a parent that literally sat with me when I was younger and was like, you can actually be successful at anything you want. You just need to follow your soul. Then I would have been able to quit my corporate job easy, right? But I didn't have that. But what I can do for myself is I can go back to that memory, sit with that little girl who needed to hear that and tell her that and validate her until my internal state changes. Now, what this is actually doing in the quantum field, if you really think about it, is it's shifting a timeline because you're like, okay, well, if that timeline had happened, I would actually be good. But what we're doing is we're going to reprogram that memory so that you can essentially jump a timeline where you did get what you needed. And now you actually can take the actions that you need. So it's truly quantum healing, uh, in my mm -hmm. opinion. And yeah, that's like a little bit of my process. How, did it ever affect your relationship with your parents in that process? You know, um, I think that at first when you do inner child work, you do have a lot of thoughts and new realizations around your parents or the people that influenced how you grew up. And then when you really get into it and you deal with those emotions in a healthy way, what you do start to realize is we're all just unhealed inner children walking around and your parents are actually probably still have wounding from their inner child wounds and they just didn't have the tools to heal it. So I would say at first it definitely did because, you know, at first I think it's normal to 
blame or be like, oh my God, they just fucked me up, you know? But um, after a while, you start to actually be even more compassionate to any, everyone that you're around because you understand what's going on underneath everyone's actions, which are just subconscious programming and a lot of times inner child and shadow wounds. Yeah, no, I fully agree. I had the same process. I think at first, once you're checked out, and you you know you have no idea what your parents did to you. You realize, oh, most of my stuff is because my parents treated me a certain way. But then that becomes, as you learn compassion for the inner child and what causes those behaviors, you learn to have compassion and uh, and love for them in in the process. But I think with parents, it could be tough because it can get triggering when it comes back in the present moment, right? Let's say the same behaviors that were messing up as a kid, they'll do again in the present moment. So what do you recommend when that happens, right? I think I see people, family members or friends were doing inner child work and the same things a parent did when they're younger come back in the present moment. And it's, it's, you still want to have the compassion to understand them, but at the same time, it's like, ah, you know, it's hard to, to deal with this. How do you deal with that now is, is when like the same stuff your parents were doing to you back then happened in the present moment again right now. Yeah, I think it's different with every situation, right? It depends if the the behavior is harmful for you or if it's crossing a boundary. But a lot of times it looks like setting a boundary. It looks like speaking your needs this time or allowing yourself to give yourself what you need or stick up from yourself in a new way. Because I find a lot of times, even when I go home, I tend to revert to patterns of like, how I grew up, right? So if I was really shy or like angry, like I, I can almost feel myself like refeeling those feelings. And I think it's mm-hmm. reminding yourself in those situations, okay, Kristen, you're not a little girl anymore. You can actually just stick up for yourself. You know, you're, you're actually almost 30 now. You can speak your truth if you need to. And I, so I think it's, it, it's always going to bring up opportunities for you to just step more into wholeness, whether that means setting a boundary, speaking your truth, maybe not even going home anymore. It depends for everyone, you know, what the situation is, yeah. but it's always just an opportunity to, yeah, just keep healing. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think another piece of the inner child thing for me, which I don't know if you agree with, is that it had to unfold that way. Like who I am today, the story of me is because of the specific, very specific things I had as a child, right? Like, the need to prove to my dad I wasn't, I was smart, you know, made me my, my drive. Uh, the need to get affection from my mom and be very sensitive. And although there's a shadow to that, as much there's a lot of light. So, degree with that, degree that a lot of who we are and some gifts in that pain as a child that it kind of molded us into who we are today. And there's room to be grateful for it. A million percent, because you know, I look at everything from two levels is like the human level and the soul level. And honestly, we're just here to learn and evolve and grow. And so, from a soul level, you if you understand soul contracts, you understand that everyone just signed up to play that character in your game. Everyone signed up to be that for you, whether it's the person who caused you trauma or the person who is giving you love. Like These are lessons that we came here to learn. We didn't just come here. Well, we did come here just to have fun and and explore and expand and experience, but we all also came here to evolve as souls. And Unfortunately, like I said in the beginning, the way we evolve is through destruction. It's through death. It's through 
hard things. And that's, it's like the deeper we go into the darkness, we deeper we go into a light. That's why you see so many light workers that have all this trauma. They're like, I cleared all this trauma. It's because that's how we grow. It's like, if we were all just happy the whole time and we didn't really need to transmute anything back into love and forgiveness and acceptance, then think about it. Like we would be pretty shallow beings because we would never have to really go deeper than we needed to, which would be beautiful. I would love to go on a planet like that next, (laughs) but that's not the purpose of earth. It's just, it's a school. And, and, you know, when you really can just see the bigger picture and the soul level, I think it helps some of the pain that you might be in as well. Yeah. What you just said touched upon shadow work, which I'm curious about. How does that affect your life? How has shadow work made you into the person you are now? And why should we start all start doing it? Shadow work stops you or shadow stops you from being who you truly want to be because shadow is shame. And shame is one of the lowest vibrational emotions that we can feel. So if we feel shame about ourselves in certain ways, then we are essentially going to wear a mask so that people don't see that part of ourselves, right? So especially as an entrepreneur, it's vital to do shadow work because Mm. let's say I don't want to be seen as a failure, right? Like just to give you an example. Okay. If I'm doing everything in my power to make sure no one sees me as a failure, I'm literally not going to launch anything. I'm not going to put myself out there. I'm not going to do anything where somebody could see me as a failure because that's the most shameful thing that I can feel like people would see me as, right? And so shadow work for me has been one of the most transform transformational tools because it's allowed me to accept myself in all parts of the journey. It's allowed me to feel love for the parts of myself that I have once hated. And so when you do shadow work, I think it's one of the deepest forms of self-love that you really get to experience because you realize that every single part of you, that little part of me that doesn't want to be seen as a failure, all she really wants is love. And not not every, anyone else's love. She wants my love. She wants my acceptance. And when you learn to do that and give yourself that validation and love acceptance that your shadow self is craving, well, now you have permission to be your most authentic self. And even if people don't like you, it doesn't really affect you that much because you love and accept you and you know who you are. And now you don't feel shame about that. What was the hardest side of yourself to love? What was like the longest journey for you to get to a point where you were like, I'm okay with the side of myself? Honestly, I got really bullied when I was little because I lived in like a very rich white town. Hmm. And I had this boy in third grade, like just be like, why is your skin brown? And why are you Asian? And all these things. And so that was one of the hardest parts of myself to love because I always felt like that part of me was like super shameful. I was like, I don't like who I am. I don't like what I look like. I don't, you know, I'm not like a blonde girl. And so it took a long time for me to finally fully accept like this body that I was in and be like, I actually love that I look different. And I actually love that I don't look like everybody else. And it took a lot of shadow work, a lot of inner child healing to that little third grader that just wanted to be accepted and wasn't. And it also took finding people in my life that looked like me and also loved themselves. Because just in my immediate friend group and the people that I followed on Instagram, there wasn't a lot of people that, you know, were killing it and looked like me. But then as I really stepped into my power, I would say like in my early 20s, I found a lot of people that 
really embraced that side of themselves and helped me embrace this side of myself, uh, even unknowingly, just like me watching them embrace it was such a initiation for me. And I think that's actually the coolest thing about when you do this work, like when you love yourself deeper and you're just being the embodiment of loving yourself, you're literally giving other people permission to do that. And what that's what those people who won't even ever know or watch this podcast or know what they did for me do did. But those people helped me love myself just by loving themselves. How did the after effect of that childhood wounding affect you in your adult years? And how does your life compare now that you cleared it? What's the different core differences in your, in your personality and the way you express yourself? Mm, this is cool because actually I can kind of see the moment. Okay. So I really believe that whatever you're experiencing internally, like is going to be a mirror outside, right? So when I didn't love myself, I actually experienced a lot of people not accepting me and not loving me. Yeah. And not thinking that I'm beautiful, right? But after I really started to embody who I truly am and love this part of me and accept it and really just like, like, yeah, I fuck with who I am. Mm -hmm. That was just reflected back to me. I think that right when I started doing that deep shadow work was when I attracted my first, you know, long-term relationship of this beautiful man that loved me exactly how I was, right? And even though we're not together anymore, it's like, it was such a beautiful thing to experience someone loving me for just me. And even further than that, I would attract really amazing friendships where people would love me for just me and not like this mask that I was putting on like in college. And so I think the moment that I really started to integrate my shadow and love myself, all of the relationships around me would just reflect that back. Yeah, for sure. And on the other side of that, I think we can use that mirror to catch what, what we need to do, right? So let's say that I attract a romantic partner or someone in my life that doesn't value, doesn't appreciate me, and I like that person or I fall in love with that person. To me, that's always been confirmation of what I have to do with myself, right? So I think I'd love for you to go into that now. It's how we can use kind of the external world, like romantic situations, what we attract to then go deeper. Kind of ask, okay, let's say, you know, you break up with someone, you look into yourself, okay, this person didn't appreciate me, all this stuff. I think one of the common issues I see now with dating nowadays is that there's all this blame on the partner, right? They're a narcissist, da, 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 and there's some truth in that always, but there's not enough reflection internally being like, why did I tolerate that? Why was I with someone who didn't, didn't appreciate me? So what's the power of that? And how can we start using that to our advantage, that concept of looking at the mirror to see what love we're tolerating and how it reflects back to us? Yeah. I think that the best thing that you can do is start to look at patterns in your life, right? if you are experiencing a pattern of someone not appreciating you, what is it in you that is allowing that or maybe not seeing your own value or maybe not sticking up for yourself that is attracting that dynamic, right? So I think that the best thing that you can do in relationships is just start to be observing and noticing patterns for me, that's where I start. When I notice that there's something happening over and over and over again, maybe in a romantic setting, okay, and then in a friendship, and then now I'm digging deeper and I realize that that also happened with my dad. Okay, so this is something that I need to work with, right? And it's funny, on a very vulnerable note, I literally had something like that happen. And I started going to therapy again. I was like, I really want to unpack why I'm attracting this of the same dynamic. So I think to 
really make it tangible for people. One, let's look at unhealthy patterns in any any relationship you're in. And then I want you to root that back to any other people that have had that same dynamic. So if it's happening in one relationship, it might be happening in a few of them in your life. And then from there, I want you to root back. You can do inner child work on this, but like really rooting back like how it's making you feel and what you would need in order to feel safer, right? So if whether it's a boundary or you would need more appreciation and then start to look at the dynamics in yourself of like why you might be attracting that. So it can be, it's very, it's nuanced from person to person. Like it's not going to be one size fits all, but that's essentially my process of like looking inward and seeing why am I attracting this? What was the unhealthy pattern you attracted? I was attracting people. (laughs) Still so vulnerable. So (laughs) bear with me. I was attracting people that were a very big part of my life. And then suddenly they would leave. And um, when I started looking back at it, it was because when I was in like fifth grade, my dad was a big part of my life. And then like literally in one day, he had an entire new family, like moved out. And like, I barely saw him ever again after that. I mean, I saw him like here and there, but never like it was. And so I think I'm still working on it in therapy to be completely honest. But Mm -hmm. I think subconsciously, I had this core belief that when people love me, they leave. Or when people are really close to me, it's going to be taken away in a moment. And then I think because I had that belief, what I was doing on my end was I was displaying some very codependent behaviors and almost like latching on in a unhealthy way. And what that does is I mean, think about it, like that's super needy energy and it like pushes people away a little bit, but it also creates a really unhealthy dynamic of, I really, really, really need you. So don't leave. And what does that person going to do? They're going to freaking leave because you shouldn't really, really need anyone. Um, So yeah, that's the pattern I'm currently working on. I appreciate you sharing that. How, How did that how did that affect you at that age? And what was like, I'd love to hear the evolution of that. Like, how did it feel in that moment at, when you were that back then? And how, what ways was it shown up again throughout your life? Is it still intense for you at this moment? Hey there, I'm going to give you a break to digest all of this amazing information. And in this break, if you like what you're listening to, please rate and review the podcast. Thank you. You know, unfortunately, I really dissociated a lot after that. Um, There's a lot of parts of my childhood that like, I don't really remember that well because I think I was in so much pain that my brain literally tried to shut it off. So it was actually interesting because I was just literally a couple weeks ago realizing this pattern in therapy that I remembered based on things that were happening in my life like more recently. And so I think although these patterns, these patterns can be tricky because it's not like it will just show up suddenly. It's like it kind of happens over time where you notice 
wait, why does this keep happening? You know, it might be a few years and you're like, wait, this happened again. Wait, what's going on? And then for me, when I like realized that, okay, I see a pattern here, that's when I really went into it. So yeah, I don't think I answered your question fully, but for me, it was like I was in a a lot of pain when I was little and I think I didn't fully deal with it until honestly this year. (laughs) Yeah, it's I share that abandonment wound. And what what helps me in relationships is that I realize that I have to kind of be with someone who's okay with my wounding. Not in the sense of like, that I put it on them, right? I used to do that. I used to, you know, like you said, I used to cling on to them and like blame them for shit and manipulate them and gaslight them because I was too scared to feel that, that wounding. But now it's gotten to a point where it's like, okay, you know, it's gotten way better, but at some level, this stuff will resurface and the person who's with me has to be okay in, in witnessing me for that. Not saving me or controlling me, but someone has to be okay with me saying, hey, this came up, I'm being honest. It's not your problem, but just be with me. See, see me for this. That being said, with your experience now, do you know what you need for yourself in a relationship now with that wounding? Yeah. And I've actually always been pretty good at that. Um, really just being really a conscious communicator. And you mm-hmm. know, I think a really beautiful way that you can do this with a partner is just being like, hey, I have this pattern of thinking people are going to leave. And I know that this is not because of you. This is just from things I've had in my past. And I'm feeling a little unsafe right now. And what I would need from you to feel safe is a little bit of validation that you still love me right now. Are you willing to meet me there and give that to me? And almost like not forcing them to give it to you, but like really just asking if they want to stick with you through that. I think in the beginning, it's like probably the hardest for me when I get in relationships because, you know, you have to like unpack all that with a partner. You're like, okay, well, I have this and I have this. But as you get deeper in connection with someone, the hope is that you do learn each other's woundings and you learn in a beautiful way to like help them become more secure and heal those, right? You don't want to be the healer of those. You don't want to enable them, but you can allow them to take responsibility for their own wounding and help them feel safe enough to essentially heal in relation with you. It's also kind of a gift. Like if for me to heal that core abandonment, for you to heal that abandonment, it has to come up in the moment. Like these core relational triggers have to arise in the moment to be healed and seen, right? Like if, if we avoid, if we avoid dating and just don't do anything, it's just going to stay dormant, right? That's why I think when people be like, you know, I, I can't, I have to stay alone and not date. I can't do this anymore. It's like, you kind of have to do it to, exp- to get triggered, to have that experience to then be with it. So I think that perspective is important is when you're triggered in a relationship, seeing as, you know, this had to come up this way. And right now is an opportunity for myself to, to clear this trigger. So. For people who have abandonment wounds or triggers, what have you done, or what? Let's go. Let's go there. What? What do, what do you do in that moment? If let's say theoretically with someone new, you know, you're talking to them, you have an argument, and they just you know say, you know what, I'm done with this conversation, they leave and slam the door. In that moment, what do you do with yourself to not go insane? You have to learn how to self soothe. You have to learn how to get yourself from a dysregulated state. To a regulated state without that person, truly. That's the that's the way to heal. And for me, it looks like feeling whatever I'm feeling, right? So I might need to cry because the crying is the body's way of naturally trying to get you back into a regulated state. And then a lot of times I have to do my self-soothing activities, right? So a lot of times that's 
just deep breathing, just getting tricking my body to feeling safe or inner child work. I do a lot of inner child work when I'm really, really triggered and sit with my inner child um, and really say, you know, I'm never going to leave you. And they're not your security. I am. And I love you and I'm not going anywhere. It's me and you for the rest of your life. Me and you, I'm never, ever, ever going to leave you and helping her feel secure. No, it doesn't happen immediately. You don't like just get up out of your meditation. You're like, okay, I'm good, right? But you do come to a state where you're like, okay, I'm going to be okay. And I think that's that's what I really want people to hear is like sometimes it's not about just like completely transmuting the trigger completely. Sometimes it's literally just walking away from being really triggered and saying, no matter what happens after this, I got me. No matter what happens, who leaves, who comes, it's okay because I can handle that. And I think that has been the moment where I've really found my deepest self-worth. I went through a really, really bad breakup uh, about a year ago almost now. And like from that fire and from that pain, it's like, I'm like, whoever can leave me now, it doesn't really matter because I got myself and I soothed myself and I picked up every fucking piece from that. And Mm -hmm. I think once you do it, you know, day after day and, you know, trigger after trigger, and you really are so committed to yourself, that creates the deepest sense of like the deepest bond within yourself because you're like, I can get through anything. I am actually unbreakable. And that's a feeling and a frequency that is one of the most valuable things you'll have in your life. And I fully agree, powerful. And to add to that, I think what's important here is being willing to tolerate the trigger, right? I think so much of our neuroses or issues is when we run away from the sensation at a first level, right? I think at a base level, the way it works, like you get triggered, are you choosing to go in or run away? Right. So I think the first step for me is for anyone listening, it's like understanding you can feel it at a base level. You are strong enough to tolerate the sensation. Start there. You know, it may be hard. You may, may want to run away, but first just be like, you know what? I, I can feel this. And then, you know, then, then you can run away if you want. But I'd love to, for you to add to that experience you had of, of any of that relationship. I think, you know, one of the things I, I talk about in relationships is this, this fear of getting heartbroken or breakup. So for me, it's like, you know, who I am today is because like, I'm a heartbroken multiple times, you know, I'm, I'm a lover. So it's like who, who, I, who I've become is a result of, of having my heart broken. And, and as you said, picking myself up. So I love for you to go into how we can use a breakup to empower ourselves or a broken heart. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of ways, but I think heartbreak really forces you to create a new story, whether you like it or not. So a lot of times in heartbreak, there's two options, right? You sit in the pain forever or you pick up the pieces and rebuild your life. And there was a long time where I wanted to sit in mine and just not accept the reality of what had happened and not accept that this was my life. And it wasn't until, again, I was in so much pain that my desire to feel relief was greater than my need to fix this solution. And when you really use your heartbreak or you use your grief and you use your pain as alchemy to create what you do desire, 
that is when you are going to transmute it into something bigger than yourself. Because a lot of times rock bottoms are just like a reshaking of your life so that you can actually create the life that you desire. You can actually create the people in your life that you desire. You can create the career. You can create the relationship that you desire. So if you're in a rock bottom, if you've gone through a rock bottom, it's like asking yourself, how can I use this as like one of the best things that's ever happened to me? I would honestly hate to hear this if I was in that rock bottom, like shut up. Like I, I, it's not the best thing that's ever happened to me. But now, you know, almost a year out, I look back, I started my podcast. I created a new group program in my business. I had a, I I have a higher income now because I put all of my energy into my business. I moved into a new apartment, like all of these things I created for myself. And they were only out of all that destruction. If I wanted to, I could still be in that destruction. Truly. I was in that much pain that I, I could have still been in that destruction, but I think you have to attach to a story that's better because one of the biggest lessons I learned is if you don't think that your life is going to get better without them than it was with them, you're never going to want to move on. You have to convince yourself, my life is only getting better from here. My life is going to be even more beautiful than it was. And sometimes it's so hard to believe that I get it like so deeply. Sometimes I'm still like, am I ever going to get to a place where I just fully am, you know, just never going to look back? But you have to do the work to make your vision of the future greater than your memory of the past, as Joe Dispenza says. <laughs> what was that like hitting rock bottom when you were already on the path? What I mean by that is that since you woke up at 17, I don't know, I don't know how old you are now, but what was it like, you know, having been years in that path and feeling like, you know, I got this shit, I figured it out, um, and then hitting rock bottom? What was that like? Oh man, I actually call it like my second spiritual awakening, even though technically it's like the third, but it was the second, like really, really big one. Um, because it actually created so much more depth in me. And I feel like I have such a better understanding of like the universe and God. I mean, it literally catapulted me into a literal whole new spiritual awakening. And what I mean by that is like my gifts opened up. So now I can hear spirit guides and angels and I can use those to help my clients. And I'm a lot more in tune with myself. So those those gifts started to open up. I mean, so much has happened. I started getting a better understanding of just how the universe works. I did my first plant medicine ceremony and got reabsorbed into source and understood what God truly is and understood how the universe, you know, you know, there was just so many initiations with this rock bottom. And I now see from the higher perspective, why it happened the way it happened, because that rock bottom was meant to give me more depth for my soul's purpose. So I do believe that when you're, you know, when you're a light worker, I kind of hate that word, but I'm just going to call you know, everyone that's doing spiritual work like a light worker, your life experiences is your soul curriculum. And that soul curriculum is meant to be shared and transmuted. So it's so funny, like looking back now, like I have so many of these clients that are like, Kristen, I literally just went through a four-year breakup. I just saw that you did too. Let's work together. And it's like now my pain that turned into wisdom is the thing that is giving my content, my message, my mission the deeper depth. It's giving it that frequency of like resonance for people. And ultimately, I think it's made me unfortunately a better teacher from all the pain. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't I don't want to go through the pain selfishly, but I'm like, okay, from a soul level, I, I see how it served me. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. I, going off that, I've learned now the hard way that whenever I'm in a rock bottom, I'm going in a phase where I'm, things aren't working out and it feels heavy. I'm not feeling good. I've learned now just to ex- surrender, just be like, you know, I'm, I'm learning something new. I'm, I'm, I'm being broken or molded into someone I have to be, right? Cause I think it's, especially my ego, I've, I've had a, a very controlling big ego my whole life, um, for the better and, and worse. And so I get super stubborn. I get very stuck in my ways. Once I think I'm right, I stick with it. You know, I just, I, I literally do the same exact thing every day. I think the same exact things. Once I find a formula, I stick with it. Period. So for me to break that and realize that I actually don't know anything at all, it takes for me to be beaten down, unfortunately. And then in that moment, I, I listen, right? I, I truly listen. So it's, it's, it's a powerful perspective to have. So go into now, what were those spiritual powers you gained from it? Into and, and unpack those, right? Like, what did you actually learn about the universe? And and I would love to hear more about these these pretty deep discoveries you had from that um, second, third spiritual awakening. I think I understand a deeper. I have a deeper understanding of source consciousness and sources part in all of this, right? So. I always like would say like, yeah, we're pieces of God and like, yeah, everyone's like a fractal of God, but like you can say that and not know it. And now I actually know it. And I think it's one of those things that I don't know if you've ever done any plant medicine and like gotten into that 12th D consciousness where you're like, oh my God, this is all me. I'm actually not Kristen. I had a full ego death in my plant medicine ceremony, which was probably one of the biggest things that I think I've gotten from this rock bottom. Um, and realized that I was doing it to me. Like I was literally putting all the people in place and I was, you know, putting everything in place to have that exact moment is like, I really could see how every thing in my life had added up to that exact moment where I met myself and understood who I was and who you are and who everyone is, right? Not just me. And I think from that perspective, you just understand how the universe works in a deeper way. So just to give you an example and bring it back down. So if someone is rejecting me, well, you can't really reject me because you are me and I am you. So you're only ever rejecting a part of yourself. And so I think it's given me this like 5D consciousness of like, we are all one. And again, I hate when people say that, like we're all one and like, it's whatever, but like, it's fucking true. We're all one. And I think for me, it's given me this just perspective of um, not being the victim anymore because realizing that I am actually creating my entire reality. This is all just a energetic hologram, a holographic matrix. And when you learn how to manipulate yourself and your own energy, okay, well now you can change what you're seeing on your own screen because you understand that you are the player in your game and you're the creator of your game. And so you learn, okay, well, what do I want to create? I am the creator. It's not like someone's up there pulling strings on me. It's like, what do I want to create? And from there, it's really brought me out of victim mode to a whole new level and helped me create my reality. (laughs) Yeah. Let's pick this apart because you and I can understand this. I've also done, you know, heavy psychedelics. So what, what do you mean by that this is a holographic matrix? And how are we the creators of our own reality? So when you take plant medicine, right? Let's say mushrooms. That's what I've taken. 
when you take mushrooms, you can start to see the energy, the sacred geometry that is this reality. This is the thing that clicked it for me. You know, everyone says like, yeah, you're going to see sacred geometry. You'll see, you know, the floor moving. You'll see everything moving, blah, 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 blah. And then I did it and I saw it. And even when you're looking, let's say I'm looking at the wall and I'm seeing sacred geometry moving, I can literally say, I want this to move this way and that thing will move that way, right? So I'm now manipulating that energetic field just by my thoughts. That changed everything for me because I realized, okay, if I can see the energy moving with my own thoughts and it's affecting matter, oh my God, manifestation is real. Creating your reality is real. And what that means is that since this is just a hologram and we're all energy, everything about the quantum field is real. We just have to change ourselves, our energetic frequency and the reflection around you changes because it is a hologram. So like, think about when you're in a video game. If you want to get to the next level, sometimes you just have to unlock some powers. For me, that was like unlocking a power. It's like, I knew all these things. I believed all these things. I've always been spiritual. But until you know for yourself on that deeper level, and you're like, oh my gosh, I full bodied like know this now then you can really play the game from a new vibrational standpoint, from a new awareness and a new um, standpoint of like, I really am the creator. So I don't know if that really unpacks it. I don't know the science behind it. No, no, I hear you. It's one of the hard, hardest things to put into words. I still struggle with it. But that was that was pretty damn good. So I, I give it to you. But what, what I love that you said is that I think what a lot of people get wrong in this space, in this, you know, I am, this is a new age stage show, but it's what people get wrong in the new age era is just simply thinking that if I think about myself in a certain way or think uh, about this thing, right? Like I'm going to get a million dollars or I'm going to get this partner, that that's it. Just think your way to achieving things. And there's some truth in that. But why I'm saying this is that most of it's done through your frequency, right? It's the whole process of manifestation, backing up what you're saying is like, okay, let's say I want to get to a million dollars. What parts of myself, my body are affecting my frequency? To not get that thing. That's the work, right? It's saying, how am I holding myself back from getting this thing? Because it exists in the, in the quantum field. This energy of a million dollars or that job I want or that partner I want, it exists, right? It's a frequency. How can I create myself in a way the frequency matches this so we're actually, we're actually a match? So I'd love for you to, to go into that now of, of unpacking that, maybe showing what you're doing with that knowledge, right? Like with your new manifestations. Like how do you actually become the frequency of the thing you're trying to call it? Yeah. Okay. I have so many ways I could go about this. But just to give you uh, how much I'm passionate about this right now, right now I'm my friends and I are doing like a 30-day Joe Dispenza challenge. So I'm on nice. day like 25 and I've literally done an hour meditation for 25 days. Yeah. And I'll say this, that my entire life has changed in these like 30 days. Wow. Like I have manifested so much. But let's go back to your original question. So how does you know, the underlying things that you have affect your manifestation. I think that there's two ways that you can look at this, but this is the way that I look at it. I think that you have a core vibration and that core vibration wants to be really high, but it's actually brought down by density. What do I mean by density? That means the trauma, the limiting beliefs, the shadow work. So that's why I think that at a baseline, if you have a lot of limiting beliefs and like, I don't feel worthy of money and I don't feel worthy of love and I don't feel worthy of relationships, 
I don't think that you're just going to be able to think yourself into what you desire. That's why it usually doesn't work because your core vibration, your core frequency is so low. It's like your baseline frequency. You want to think of your baseline frequency of like, if anyone was to call you on the phone at like a random time of day, what would be your mood? What would be like your bank account? What would be, you know, you just like, you're almost like average um, of like what people are going to get from you. Now, when you start to heal the trauma, when you start to heal the inner child, when you start to release some of the limiting beliefs, what happens? That core vibration kind of starts to raise. It's like what Abraham Hicks talks about, about like the cork is going to float to the top because so many of those things are weighed down. And when, this is what I believe, when you have that higher core vibration, so you've released a lot of those bigger traumas, we're always going to have trauma to release. But like when you've really cleared a lot of that deeper density, now I really do kind of believe that you can play in this field of like, I'm just kind of kind of think it into existence. Not only thinking it, it's also just matching the frequency, right? So I told you guys, I've been doing a lot of Joe Dispenza lately, and I've been just completely obsessed with the quantum field in the past like two months. And here's the thing about the quantum field. So in this space on earth, there's space and there's time, right? And time is the distance between space. So time would be like the time it takes me to go here to my microwave, right? That's time because it's the distance between the space. In the quantum field, there's no space or time. Okay, if there's no space or time, how do you get places? By frequency. You can't move from point A to point B. You can only tap in to certain frequencies, right? And so when you're at, I believe that kind of like more on your high flying disc, as Abraham talks about, now you really just can tap into the frequency of what you desire. And if you can stay there long enough, now you're not trying to move matter with matter. Now you're moving energy with energy. Now it's just, I'm going to tap into this frequency and I am going to start to attract it to me. And just to give you guys an example, because I'm so passionate about it right now, like I've just been playing with money because I'm like, okay, everyone wants money. I want more money. Like, let's just play with money. So for the last 30 days, I didn't promote almost any of my services. I was like, I'm just going to just play, right? I didn't promote any of my services. And typically for me, I am playing with matter to matter. I have to promote my services. People, clients sign up to work with me. Great. That's awesome. But I was like, let's just see if I can attract it without doing anything physically. And in the last 30 days, I've attracted like seven or eight new clients and have not promoted one thing. So when you're working in the quantum field and just starting to work with, okay, I'm just going to match the frequency of what I want. Now things are coming towards you. You don't have to go towards it because it's not matter to matter anymore. It's energy to energy. I don't even know if I answered your question, but I just went off on a tangent. And that was a beautiful, awesome tangent. Thank you. I even, I even learned something. I want, I want to include this, uh, and maybe not debate, but I'm going to bring another side of manifestation just to get your take on it. So some of the issues I have, I am a manifestor, I believe, and I do everything you do. But there's also this issue that I've been thinking about more so frequently that I think when we are obsessed with accessing that future version of, of ourselves who's successful and doing the things you want to do, right? Let's say if it's, again, with money, um, manifesting yourself as a millionaire, right? I think there's the shadow of it in my experience is shaming where you are right now um, in the sense that you only can accept yourself as that future version of you and who you are right now, you shame yourself for. You start believing that 
you know what? It, I, I can't accept myself being here right now. I only can, and using that manifestation as like an escape of being like, I can only accept the version of myself who is that version. However, you can only get to that version by allowing yourself to be alchemized in the pain to become that frequency. So what do you, what's your take on that? Is it, how do you avoid kind of shaming yourself right now for where you are and trusting that where you are is going to take you to where you have to go? I think it is more about being okay with where you're at and really fucking excited about where you're going, right? For me, it's like, I don't hate who I am right now. I don't hate how much money I have right now, but I'm like, it's cool to create a new version of Kristen. It's cool to create all these physical things, right? I'm just kind of having fun with it at this point. But it's like, I think that if you're hating where you're at, then you have more shadow work to do because why can't you accept yourself now? I think that the frequency is of... I love where I am and I'm I'm still okay without it. I still accept myself without it is actually one of the most potent and powerful frequencies because that's the frequency of unconditional acceptance and love, which is really the frequency of source. It's unconditional acceptance and love for everything, all of it, all the time, everywhere, right? And so yeah. I think it's, again, balancing that state of, I love where I'm at. I'm excited where I'm going. And nothing's wrong with where I'm at. But again, at the core, we are creators. Think about it. If we are all fractals of source, we're creators, right? He only is here to create. He created trillions of fractals because he just wanted to keep creating. And so I think creation is our nature. I think that's also why people feel stuck when they're not creating in their life is because creation is our true nature. So I think it's absolutely fine to want to create more for your life. You just have to make sure that you also love the version of you that you are and you honor that version of you and you can say you know i i'm really grateful and proud and i bless this version of me that has gotten me here and that has created the the frequency of where i'm going i agree that's some serious wisdom i'm going to ask you a little bit of a different question now you previously mentioned that you gained the power through that through that uh rock bottom to start accessing your uh, angelic guides or, or light guides. How do we do that? What what are these angelic guides we all have and how do we start being able to hear them? So the thing with accessing your spirit guides, your spirit team, your angels, whatever you just want to connect with is they are not going to bring down their frequency to connect with you. You can only mm-hmm. raise your frequency so that you can connect with them. So I'm going to go back to the trauma. A lot of the work to being able to connect to your guides or, you know, speak light language as people want to do or whatever that it's actually working on your human. Because when you are working on your human, again, it's back to that cork. You're really clearing out the density so your frequency can rise to lift it. And so I think for me, it was doing so much of that shadow work, that inner child work, the foundation is working on your human. Like people, everyone wants to connect with their guides, but they have to remember that like at the core, we're here to master being human. We're here to be human and we're here to accept that. And so for me, I'm never trying to like, that's never the end goal for when I'm trying to help people connect with their guides or connect with their angels. 
I'm always like, let's master what your human is going through right now. And I know that if that's supposed to unfold for you, then that's going to happen because not all of us are here to be able to hear our guides and work with them. Like that's just not in the contract now. And that's totally fine. But if you do want to do it, I think there is a lot to say of just starting the conversation with them. They can't help you unless you ask because of free will. So a really easy practice for, you know, do you to start working with your angels is like simply ask if you want help help getting a new job or attracting love or getting a parking spot, literally anything. I ask my angels for everything today. Like even right before we get on, before I do a podcast, I'm like, all right, team, we're about to go on a podcast. Please speak through me. Please help me say the messages and speak eloquently in the way that I need to. I bring them into everything in my life. Even right when I wake up, good morning. Like I literally talk out loud to them, make sure that they know that I'm, you know, wanting them to be a part of my life. And when I invite them in, then they can start to help me. So even if you can't hear them, you can start to bring them into your life. And then when you notice like, oh, they sent me a sign, I'm seeing angel numbers, or I asked for a butterfly and I just saw a butterfly, acknowledge it. Thank you. I just saw that. More please, more please, more please, right? Like there's this thing that I do even when I am looking for a parking spot outside my house. I'm like 10 minutes before I'll be in the car and I'll be like, can you guys queue up a parking spot for me? I would love to park on the left side of my apartment building. And almost every time I get that exact spot that I want. I'm like, it's just a beautiful relationship where we can just co-create my reality with the angels. So yeah, if you want to start creating a connection, you have to work at it like a relationship. Like think about a new friendship. You wouldn't just expect somebody to be friends with you. Like you have to talk to them and put energy into them and make sure that they know that you want them to be in your life. And it's the same with your guides. Like they're always going to be trying to help you out, but they can help you out better and more if you ask and you are open for their services. And in your experience, the more you clear trauma, work in your shadow, raise your frequency, what changed? Was it hearing them more specifically, like hearing them, the request or the voice more uh, better or and was it also the power of their their your requests getting followed like what actually changed in your relationship with them once you cleared so much of yourself what was the exact difference yeah i think it was learning to recognize how they spoke through me so they actually told me that they've been working with me for a long time it was just the way that they speak through me is like very very integrated right so it more feels like I'm not thinking a thought, I'm receiving the thought, right? So I, I call them in a lot when I'm working with clients. Like I ask my angels to connect with theirs so that they can give me messages for like their businesses or their core blocks so that we can start to clear them. And for me, it's like I might be on a session with a client and instead of like logically thinking, it's almost like I'm receiving the information. It feels like a block of thought that's getting downloaded into my brain. So I don't hear or I don't like see, I'm not clairaudient or um, clairvoyant, I'm very claircognizant, meaning they speak to me through like, I can hear them in my head and like more like blocks of thought. Um, So that's how they work with me, but they work with different people in different ways. I have friends that are full clairaudient and they literally are hearing their guides in their ears every day. And then I, you know, have a few of my coaches and healers that are like clairvoyant where they're seeing exactly what's going on with me or they can see my body or where my chakras are are blocked or whatever that is. Um, so it is going to come differently for everyone. And that's why I said like some people are just not here to 
have that relationship with them. And some people are, you know, if you feel called to, you probably are, but it's going to sound and feel differently for everyone. But I think that the most surprising thing for me going to like not really having this deep connection with them to having this deep connection is for me, it's way more integrated than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be like these voices in my head. And all of a sudden I'm seeing these things everywhere. And like, I'm like, it's a whole new reality. Like, no, it's actually, they speak to me, you know, through a lot of ways. They'll speak to me through the song on the radio, through the movies, through blocks of thought, through random ideas of, oh, you should do this. And then like, I go do this and they, I meet a whole bunch of people. And like, that was exactly what I was asking for. Right. So they, your guides are going to speak to you through a lot of ways, but we have to be open to it through always, not just through our mind and our, our vision and everything. It's like, I will see angel numbers and I'll, I'll say thank you, or I'll see a song on the radio and I'll be like, oh my God, that was literally the answer to my question. So be open to them connecting with you in all different types of ways. I'm also claircognizant where it's my thoughts. So what I struggle with sometimes recognizing, okay, is what's thoughts of egoistic delusion or, you know, jealousy or just not the best kinds of the human, you know, evolutionary thoughts and what's the higher, higher self thoughts. How, what, what's your process been like of being able to decipher what's what? So how do you do that? How can you be in your mind and, and be able to recognize, okay, this is my lower self or my shadow. This is the higher vibration. This is the spirit. How can you have those differentiations? Ego. So anything with ego, you know, shadow, whatever judgment, it's always very loud right? It's going to be like really loud. It's like, you don't know that's true. It's like, it's always kind of in your face, your intuition, your higher self, your guidance. It's always very, it's subtle. It's, it's quiet and it's not going to force you to listen to it. Right. So that's why it's like, people are like that first gut feeling you had is typically the right thing because it's like, it's quiet. It's not going to like force you to pay attention to it. But like that ego is going to be like, wait, should you actually do that? Or is it safe to do that? It's like the ego is always going to be really loud and the spirit, the soul is always going to be kind of quiet. And in my, I think more times than not, sometimes like the soul or the spirit is the higher self is a little bit inconvenient to follow, right? Like it's always like, you probably shouldn't be in that relationship. And you're like, fuck, I don't I don't really want to leave it, right? Until it's like so loud that you have to leave it. So I think it takes practice and it takes awareness, right? People just want to have access to their intuition, but they don't want to go through the process of following it, getting it wrong, following it, getting it right. Oh, okay. So that time it was wrong because of this, that time it was right because of this. Like you actually have to create a relationship and a connection with it if you want to have a relationship with it. Awesome answer. I, I completely agree. I never heard it put that way, but it's accurate. Ego's loud, higher self's quiet and whispers. It's a very soft suggestion. I, I feel you. Um, but I want to thank you. Yeah, for sure. I want to thank you so much for, for first just just being you and also coming on. But in the sense that I think you have a a lot of people in this space just go straight to you know um, call things out, believe it, name it. You know of bypassing this, the work needed to experience bypassing, right? I think what you're doing is really good because it combines everything, right? You're, you're, you're arguing, which I agree with that the key to actually unpacking everything is to not bypass is to allow the awakening or the trauma clearance to lead to those things. You have to get that the actual entrepreneurship process or the uh, process of discovering yourself is what you have to clear to become that version. So I appreciate it deeply. 
Thank you so much for giving us all your wisdom. And where can people find you and work with you if they want to? Yeah. So basically on all platforms, um, Instagram at Kristen.such, TikTok, Kristen.such. I have YouTube where I just repost some of my lives and some of my podcasts. It's just Kristen Such. So basically everything, Kristen Such. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast as well as rate and review. Thank you for listening. 